Acts chapter 1 is where we're at today, getting into a new book, just finished John a couple of weeks ago, and if you guys will stand with me, Acts chapter 1, we will read through verse 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Lord, as we get into the book of Acts, a new book, a new season, uh, just my heart overflows with what you might accomplish in your church as we go through uh, the book of Acts. And so we pray that you would um, let the dreams of God come true here at Calvary Primeville as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. The book of Acts. Maybe your heading says the Acts of the Apostles. That's helpful. You know, going from uh, what Jesus had done in four Gospels, four Gospels where uh, are de- dedicated to informing us of what Jesus did and all that he said and the miracles that he did. Four Gospels of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Only one book of Acts that tells us what the, Holy, uh, what the uh, apostles accomplished in their life here. And, uh, and so the book of Acts is, uh, yes, the Acts of the Apostles. But uh, I've also heard it put that it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And really, I think that's helpful to see the work of the Lord and His power the Holy Spirit moving in power through the apostles uh, as he would establish churches across the world and spread the gospel throughout the world. Now, I'm excited to go through the book of Acts. Uh, we recently finished it in our church plant in Polina just about a month or two ago. We finished the book of Acts. Uh, we are going through it with the middle schoolers right now. With the high schoolers, we went through it uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, it's It's a book that we preach a lot at this church. We have fasted through the book of Acts during our week of prayer and fasting. The Lord did a revival in our church the day after we finished that fast. Forty people got baptized on Easter Sunday that day after we read through the book of Acts. And people were just reading it with their hunger. And they were saying, gosh, it looks like right here that I'm supposed to get baptized after I get born again. I haven't been baptized yet. And then they all jumped up to come get baptized. It was an incredible time in our church history. 
Uh, I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us in the book of Acts. One of my favorite books. It's so exciting. I'm surprised there hasn't been some sort of documentary, miniseries, uh, you know, blockbuster movie made about the books. It is so excited. It's got great characters. It's got great plot. You know, it's got great action and adventure and drama and um, miracles and shipwrecks and snake bites and natives of unusual kindness. Just all sorts of incredible stuff that that we would we would love to see on our uh, LCD 4K TV or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, and the best thing of all about it all is that it's true. These are true stories that we've been encouraged with to know and how to inform our church on how to live and how to step out in what God has for us in faith. Uh, Luke begins his story with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which begins what's been called the honeymoon period of the Spirit-filled community. John Calvin called the book of Acts a kind of vast treasure. I hope that you find the book of Acts to be that treasure for you as we go through it. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to Acts as that most lyrical of books and added that we should live in that book, I exhort you. It's a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. John Stott said, It has in fact been a salvatory exercise for the Christian church of every century to the present to stop, uh, or rather to seek to recapture something of its confidence, enthusiasm, vision, power. At the same time, we must be realistic. There's a danger lest we romanticize the early church, speaking of it with bated breath as if it had no blemishes. But then we shall miss the rivalries, the hypocrisies, the immoralities, and the heresies which troubled the church then and trouble the church now. And so let's get into it. It starts out, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So we know that it was written by Luke and and that Luke was a physician, And he writes like a learned physician. Uh, Paul referred to Luke as uh, a traveling companion, a traveling companion. And we'll see as we read through the book of Acts, there's a point in the journey of Paul that all of a sudden the language goes from uh, Luke writing about they and their mission to we and our mission. He's, He's there. He'll start traveling with Paul. It's kind of an exciting transition in the book of Acts. Um, he's writing to the receiver of the book named Theophilus, Theophilus, or God's friend is what Theophilus means. Um, Theophilus uh, received both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, they're actually companion pieces. Back in the ancient world, it was common to write multiple volumes, and it would be considered one source, but where there was the break of the volume, there would be an introduction that was very similar to the introduction of the previous verse. Let's check it out in Luke chapter 1. Let's see how similar they are. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which had been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivery, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account 
most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty in which of those things in which you were instructed. And so, very similar introduction, you know, uh, especially towards the end there, uh, this orderly account given to Theophilus, uh, an account given by people who were eyewitnesses of what Jesus had done. Eyewitnesses, you guys, it's so important when we talk about the resurrection, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit as we continue in the book of Acts. But Luke was essentially witnessing to Theophilus uh, through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts. As he's writing, he writes main themes to Theophilus, such as the church's beginnings, the Holy Spirit, church growth, witnessing, and opposition to witnessing. H.J. Cadbury pointed out 60 years ago that Luke was uh, regarding the book of Acts as neither an appendix or an afterthought, but framed his gospel with a continuous work going on to the book of Acts. He wrote that Luke was a diplomat as he wrote. He was a theologian as he wrote, and he was an evangelist as he wrote. We read in verse 2 of our text that Jesus, uh, the things that Jesus, here let me roll back to verse 1, he wrote of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the gospel of Luke just rolls right into the book of Acts. Um, it's, it's nice to have that transition. We just finished the gospel of John and the transition is nice as well. It just goes right into what happened next in Jesus's ministry. And Luke kind of spells it out here for us. He's going to be taken up. That speaks of the ascension. Next week, we'll talk about the ascension. We'll get there when we get down to verse nine. We're not going that far this week, but he'll be taken up into heaven. And just before he was taken up, he he, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to the apostles. What commandments did he give just before he was taken up into heaven? What commandments did he give during that 40-day transition period between his resurrection from the grave and his ascension up into the heaven? Well, we know those commandments as something called commissions. Have you heard of the commissions or have you heard of the Great Commission. Anybody out there? I've heard of the Great Commission. Some people like to think of it as the Great Suggestion. Oh, that'd be nice. It's not the Great Suggestion. The Great Commission. And every one of the Gospels has a Great Commission. Will you look at a couple of them with me? One of the commandments that he gave before he ascended was in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. This might be one of the more famous Great Commission passages where he says, go therefore. Now, little rule of Bible studies, you guys. When you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Okay? It helps you keep context the king as you read the Bible. Okay? And so if you were to just go back to the previous verse, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I just lived a sinless life. I just died a sacrificial atoning death for your sins. I was risen from the dead in victory which vindicates all my claims that I said that I'm God uh, and that I'm the savior of the world. And part of the like reward from the father to the son, reading Philippians 2, is that all authority has been given to me. I'm the king of the world, is what Jesus is saying. And what does Jesus do with his authority? 
he sends out his workers into the harvest field. And he says, go, because of my authority, you go ahead and go and make disciples, which are not converts. He doesn't say, go and just preach the gospel to as many people as you can, have them fill out the comment card and, you know, um, you know, add them to your numbers that you put on your website and then send them back out into the world to just get chewed up by the wolves. No, he says, make disciples, make followers of me, make students that you're teaching. Okay. Make disciples of all the nations. You might mark that word nations. We're going to come back to it in just a second. And something you do as you're discipling them, teaching them is you'll baptize them. Okay. You'll baptize them in the baptism formula. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a Trinitarian baptism. What else do we do? We teach our disciples. So there's teaching and there's learning. Teaching them to follow everything Jesus had commanded. You know, so people that say that they're Christians who think they don't need to be a part of a local church and they just want to go ahead and, and, you know, my church is when I'm fly fishing at the river or when I'm riding my horse in the mountains or when I'm mountain biking, you know, what? it's like, sorry, I get what you mean, but you're way off. Okay, uh, someone once said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. False. Hold on, let me finish. You don't have to go to church to be saved. Okay, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Anybody else? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But to be a Christian, to be someone who's living the New Testament life, we are called to this great and wonderful privilege of life together. And in life together, there are teachers and there are learners and the learners become the teachers. The disciple becomes the master. Okay, right? It happens all the time. And I was so blessed the other day. I was sitting in youth group, middle school or high school group, and Johnny is doing this incredible series right now with the high schoolers. He's a biology teacher and a scientist, and he's doing this awesome creation teaching, awesome packet he gives us. It's got all kinds of funny pictures and things that we get to fill out and glue to, you know, this, that, and the other. And he's teaching the truth of creation and it is amazing. And I'm sitting there watching these high schoolers and they've got pens and they're writing down these awesome phrases and words and scriptures. And I just had the Lord be like, you guys are doing it. You guys are doing it well. You're teaching the young ones about me. I loved it. We have in our heart to, within this next year, begin like a school of ministry Bible college, and so we're discussing that. So get ready, guys and gals, to be equipped for even more of the work, to be taught like a disciple, okay? Uh, so how does it observe everything that Jesus commanded, and then the great, help that you'll, the great hope that you'll never be by yourself? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, let's hop to Mark's gospel and his commission. Verse 15 He said to them, go, very similar already, right? Go, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I love that. So far we've talked about nations and we've talked about creatures. We're going to come back to nations in just a second. Actually, let's hop to nations real quick. Go to Luke 24, 44. I had it all out of order in, in my notes. I wanted to go chronologically, but Jesus says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead the third day. 
and that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So Luke's great commission starts with Jesus. He just rose from the dead, and he does this awesome thing where he opens up the Christian's understanding to comprehend the Bible. Anybody want the Lord to do that for you today? I wish he would just open up my understanding to comprehend the Bible so that when I comprehend the Bible, Jesus just said it, I'll be able to read Moses and the prophets and the historical books and the books of poetry, and I would know that everything that's written is pointing to Jesus coming and being our hero, okay? And all of that was written about Jesus so that salvation and repentance would be preached in Jesus' name to all the nations, okay? Beginning in Jerusalem. All right, you guys, there's a word there. I told you to underline it. Underline it in Luke. It's the word nations or ethne, okay? It's a word used all throughout the scripture to describe every tribe out there, every tongue, every nation, every people group. And some of the uh, uh, language linguisticsologists, you know, uh, they say that this can be narrowed down to actually every family group. Okay, so if you've got a last name today, you've got a tribe, right? All right, and so every nation is to hear about salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, all right? That's part of God's plan. That's part of his commission. Now, in the last 2,000 years since Jesus had given this call to his followers, did you know that half of the world has heard of the gospel of Jesus? And those hearers of the gospel are following the gospel and they're planting churches and they're making disciples and there's just awesome stuff happening. So exciting, so cool. Half the world's heard about Jesus. They think there's something like 11 billion people on the planet right now. So about, you know, 6 billion people have heard about Jesus and are following Jesus. In first service, people applauded about that. I don't know if you're not so. So yeah, half the world. Don't worry, actually first service, I made them applaud too. So you're, okay, all right. But the sad news is, or maybe the exhortation to us today is that half the world is what is called unreached peoples, okay? Unreached people groups. So out of all, and there's there's what are called missiologists who study this stuff, and they've figured out how many tribes there are in the world right now. Half the tribes have heard about Jesus and have followers of Jesus. Half the tribes have not heard about Jesus and And half of that half are called unreached people groups, okay? And they have less than 2% Christians. And those missiologists who study this say, once there's 2% or more Christians in a tribe, it begins to to grow and to expand, okay? Now, half of that half, a quarter of the world's population, are what are called unengaged, unreached people groups. And what that means is that there is currently zero effort to get the gospel of Jesus into those tribes, tongues, nations, and peoples, okay? So for 2,000 years, this has not happened. The commission has not happened in going to them. Now, there's reasons for that. It's really hard to get there. If you go there, you're going to be killed, all right? It's difficult to get visas in there. It's difficult to travel in there. It's desert. You die of thirst, you know? It's jungle. There's spiders. I ain't going there. Sorry, someone else is going to have to go, right? Um, 
or you know, there's high mountains. Like we go to, to, to Nepal to reach the high unreached people groups of Nepal where um, there's out of 329 different tribes in Nepal, in the Himalayas, only nine have been reached with the gospel. Okay, the rest are unreached and unengaged. They're so high up and so hard to get to. And there's such demonic oppression that happens everywhere. The deserts, the jungles, uh, the plains, there's, there's hard stuff there. But the Lord desires his missionaries to go and to preach the gospel to those nations. In fact, Mark chapter 13 tells us and Matthew 24 tells us that before Jesus comes back, the gospel has to be preached in every nation and then the end will come. Now, I believe Jesus could come back at any second. I'm looking up and I'm praying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But the fact that he hasn't come yet tells us that there is still work to be done. There are still people that need to hear about Jesus. So the nations, guys, right? Now, one of the exciting things is that we as a church since 2014 have been going to Nepal. We've got a team going uh, in April to go and trek in the mountains and to tell people about Jesus. And so there's a great work. Even those that can't go, you guys are giving, you guys are praying, you guys are encouraging us, you guys are supporting us and partnering with us as we go up there. Now, Mark's, I kind of, I hate spoilers, you know, and I hate jumping ahead in my notes, but I did it, so let's move on. But Mark 16 tells us in his commission, go unto uh, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's interesting, right? From nation to creature. And I love that we're to preach to every creature because the book of Romans chapter eight tells us that all of creation is longing for Jesus to come back and that this whole sin and bondage of corruption stuff will be over with. In fact, the language is that all of creation is craning its neck in eager expectation of the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Do you know that? That's a super exciting thing. So what it means is as we go out and we preach the gospel, every time we see a result of the fall of man, such as yellow jackets and wasps with their stingers, goat heads and thorns and, and briars, right? Slivers and cancers and divorce. And we are preaching the gospel to everything that has a fallen condition to it because we are preaching that Jesus Christ is coming back and his kingdom is coming with him, okay? So part of the commission is we're not only preaching to people, we're preaching to all the junk that's going on in the world, right? All right, I'm expecting to start hearing more of that, you know, as you guys are like trying to get your truck to start like, ah! One day you're going to work in a way that, you know, whatever. But, uh, and so uh, going on to verse uh, three of our text, chap, uh, Acts chapter one, these apostles are those to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in his resurrected state, risen from the dead, presented himself alive. It means to be in front of them. Ta-da! You know, or he placed himself beside them, and he let them touch him. Behold, my hands and my feet. Thomas, you're doubting. Put your hands in my hand, and then the holes in my hand, so you know it's me. Place your hand in my side. Let's eat together. Let's walk together. Let's be at the table together on a mountain, by the lakeshore, on the roadside, in a room, in the city, uh, in the meadow. You know, he spent time with the disciples after his resurrection. First Corinthians 15 helps us understand how 
He spent time with Cephas, also known as Peter, so he was seen by Peter, then by the 12 disciples. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So in his resurrected state, he appeared, I don't know what we got here, like maybe 85 people in the room or something like that, you know. Imagine, you know, five times uh, what we've got going here, okay? And everyone's just witnessing at once the resurrected king. You know, to the Jews, at the mouth of two or more witnesses, a fact was established, okay? Imagine with Jesus, 500 people saying, we saw him resurrected from the dead. And so for 40 days, he was appearing to people. And what did he do while he was appearing? He showed that he was indeed alive and he used infallible proofs. I love that phrase, convincing proofs, something you can mark down. These are sure signs. The disciples listened to him speak, watched him eat, felt his hands, knew that he wasn't a ghost or a phantom or a hallucination, but a risen God-man. And how long did he do this? I mean, it would have been awesome for one whole day, right? Two whole days, maybe a long weekend, maybe a, you know, three-day weekend. That'd be great. 40 days. He kept showing up. And it was interesting. He's in this transition period between being with him every day before he was crucified. And then after he rose from the dead, he's here, he's gone. He's showing up, he's disappearing, he's vanishing, he's coming back again. He's on the side of the lake and they're not expecting him. All of that is in this transition period before his ascension when he'll finally say like, I'm going to the presence of the Father and I'm gonna be gone for a while. For those 40 days, he spoke of things about the kingdom of God. Jesus's uh, two main topics were the kingdom of God and with that, the commission of God. And his second, uh, I don't know if you guys mind if I combine one. So the kingdom and the commission, right? This is really hard actually. And then... (laughs) Try not to get myself in trouble with my fingers. Um, Okay, there we go. Uh, And the second thing he spoke of was the spirit and the commission, okay? The kingdom and the spirit, both having commission work to be done. As they were assembled in verse four, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. So they're in Jerusalem, they're on the Mount of Olives, the gospel tell us, right outside of Jerusalem, he's going to ascend from the Mount of Olives, he commissions them from the Mount of Olives, and he's going to say, okay, now stay in Jerusalem, they're going to stay in Jerusalem for about 10 more days, and wait for the promise of the Father. Now how many of you, when you were kids, and you found out that the promise of the Father was coming home tonight, did that get you excited? Like, I always wanted a pony, you know? You know, or I always wanted a dirt bike or that mountain bike or, you know, a promise. Dad, dad, a promise. You know, do you ever promise your kids that, you know, we're going to go get a treat this afternoon. If we get all of our chores done and this and that, we're going to take this afternoon. We're going down to DQ. We're going to get us a treat, you know. Oh, my goodness. Well, the kids stopped talking about the treat already. They haven't even started getting their work done, you know. Oh, we're a treat. When are we going to go get our treat? The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Okay. Jesus says, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that you heard from me. Remember, I talked about the promise of the Father. Now, uh, what is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father, we're going to see in the next verse, that John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So you don't have to have been going to Calvary for very long to know that we preach about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit upon a believer's life. Just went through the Gospel of John and in the amphitheater at the park this summer, we went through John 14, 15, right? We did in-depth look at the Holy Spirit and his role in the believer's life. Well, if you go back there, uh, you see that Jesus did indeed talk to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And uh, let's look at it. Let's look in John 14, 16, where Jesus says, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Or John 14, 25, these things I've spoken to you while I was present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Or in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So Jesus had spoken of the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And he gives the Holy Spirit some helpful um, nicknames. The helper, okay? Who is this Holy Spirit that Rory is speaking of today? Is some sort of weirdo? He's gonna get on me. He's gonna get on me. He's gonna get, oh no, you know. Um, just calm down for a minute, okay? You don't see that he's, he's, he's gonna make anything just like super crazy and uncomfortable be happening to where you're gonna doubt if there's even a God or, you know, if the devil's on you, Okay? You see that he's the helper, okay? That he's the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth, Jesus says. He will bring to your remembrance the things that he has spoken, okay? He's not gonna leave you as orphans that just ascend up into heaven, but he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I'm gonna send the helper and he's gonna be upon you and it's going to be like a bunch of little Jesuses going out into the world. Instead of just one Jesus hanging out in Galilee, you guys are going to be filled with the presence of God and go out from this place. And so what is this promise of the Father? Well, it's referred to in verse 5 as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus references John's baptism and he shows that there's a distinction between John's and Jesus's baptism. Both are good. Both are necessary for Christians. John's baptism was done by John or modern day by a person. Okay. A person does the baptizing. It's with the element of water. Okay. And it's for the purpose of showing repentance unto new life. Okay. So as you read Romans chapter six, you see that just as Jesus was dead and buried and then rose from the dead, even so the Christians are buried with Jesus into baptism and also risen to new life. All right. So if you haven't been water baptized yet, the baptism of John, I encourage you as a Christian to make that happen. Come talk to me. We'll arrange something. The weather is perfect outside for a good baptism. All right. Um, we, I have a hot tub. We can make something happen. All right. Uh, but all right, John's baptism done by John or done by a man or women. You can baptize your friends. I'm cool with that. I think the Bible would be too, uh, with water. Okay. That element for the purpose of showing repentance. Okay. Sorrow for sin and, and to new life. All right. Jesus's baptism here, the baptism with the Holy spirit who does the baptizing 
Jesus, okay? What is the element by which we're baptized? Not an element at all, not a force, but with the person of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, okay? And its purpose is, the primary purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for boldness and courage and bravery to go out and to share the gospel, even if it means you could die for it. That's the number one purpose in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that there's other wonderful gifts and blessings and benefits for where we see the Holy Spirit show up. But here in our context, number one benefit and purpose is for boldness and courage for us to go out and tell people um, about Jesus. In verse 6, therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, it's a little bit of an odd transition. Jesus is just talking about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Father, and he wants us to get all giddy about the treat that we're going to get that you've been talking about, and it's coming. Go to Jerusalem, it's coming to you. And instead, they're like, okay, we got a question about the kingdom, okay? When are you going to get these Romans off of our land and establish your throne? All right? And Jesus has been telling them for a long time that, you know what, man, the kingdom, it's more than just what you want to see happen on earth. And you can sympathize with uh, the disciples. Man, they've been hoping forever for the kingdom of God to come. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen some of those amusement parks that have, you know, gone bankrupt and become dilapidated and, you know, the prehistoric forests out there that, you know, um, you know, there's one on, the, on your way to Klamath Falls. You know, you go down Highway 97 and there's like a truck stop there. Anybody seen it? Highway 97 to Klamath Falls. There used to be, I used to drive it all the time. There was a fence with all kinds of like foam dinosaurs back behind the fence and this giant beast by the highway right on highway 97 and as a little kid we'd drive by them and i'd be like it's a prehistoric forest you know and uh and then you watch as time goes on and it's all bankrupt and dilapidated you know pretty soon like the paint starts coming off the dinosaur and then like the foam is like falling off of its face and the rebar is showing and it's just like you know there's another one down by Kino. It was this awesome miniature golf course on Highway 97. Just big, uh, beautiful mountains and things to putt-putt through, you know, and windmills. And, and like, oh, no, that didn't work out like I thought it would, you know. And now they're like, the things are falling over and people are getting, it's really a dangerous thing. Don't go by it. But, you know, the disciples were like, the kingdom of God, it's going to be a prehistoric forest, you know, it's going to be just the best thing, and it's going to be an adventure land with the Lord, and he's come, and Messiah, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Palm Sunday, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and then he ends up dying on a cross. That was a total bummer and a letdown to the whole idea. Then he rose from the dead. Oh, we're back at it again. Oh, it's better than I could have imagined. Now you're leaving us? Quick question. What in the world's going on here, you know? And Jesus is like, quick question, do you not listen to anything I ever say? And then they just stared at each other for a while, right? When God establishes the kingdom of the Messiah, he'll pour out his spirit. That's something that's going to happen is the kingdom is here now, right? Have you remembered the Lord's prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we do pray that there's a part that's available for us today. Whatever could happen of your kingdom here today, Lord, we pray that. Theologians call this mystery the already but not yet mystery of the kingdom of heaven. 
there's so much. Even today, we're here. We're gathering in the name of the Lord. There's a taste of heaven right here. There's a taste of Revelation chapter 4 happening right here in our midst. Chapter 5 happening right here in our midst. There's a taste of, of his throne in this place. And there's healings that happen. And there's, there's uh, uh, darkness driven away. And there's lives that are being transformed and changed. Yes, the kingdom already, but not yet. One day we're going to see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. But right now it's like we're looking through a mirror dimly. The Lord had something more to do. Maybe you would read the great book, Ben-Hur. The whole book is about this guy, Judah Ben-Hur, who's like, when is this guy, Jesus, going to take over the Romans? And I've got an army ready to go right now. We'll take him out. And then he's speaking to a wise man that's telling him, hey, maybe Jesus is going to do a work over the hearts of men before he establishes his kingdom over the earth. And so there's this great wrestling match of what the kingdom of God looks like. One man said it's not only a kingdom across land, but it's a kingdom across men's hearts. The kingdom of God is in the regenerate heart of forgiven men. You guys remember the old song, love is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. Joy is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence here. So let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know, let the whole... Okay, you guys get the point. Really, it's the kingdom of God is happening wherever the king is, all right? Is the king is in residence where you are? Then let joy be flown fly, flaming flags of freedom. (laughs) I don't know. Will Durant is a sociologist. He summed up the difference between God kingdom and the kingdom of men by saying, Caesar hoped to reform men by changing institutions and laws. Christ wished to remake institutions and change laws by changing men. And that's the era that we live in now. It's the era that is still in effect from what we're reading right now. We are in the business of changing men's hearts with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 7 says, he says to them, it's not for you guys to know the times or the seasons that the Lord has put into his authority, kind of categorizes it into two things here, times and seasons or times and dates, chronoi and keroi, together those times and seasons make up God's plans, the times of critical moments of history and the seasons in his orderly development. That's not for us to know. In fact, Jesus even says, but of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Howard Marshall wrote, these verses spell out God's purpose and the place of the church in it. They postulate that the period of witness and mission must precede the return of Jesus. They were thus, in effect, a warning to the disciples not to expect a speedy winding up of history. For Luke's readers, some 40 or more years later, they were a reminder of an ongoing task. The gospel must still be taken to the end of the earth. Instead of indulging in wishful thinking or apocalyptic ex- uh, speculations, the disciples must accomplish their task of being witnesses to Jesus. And so verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations and to every creature. Go and tarry in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit down there. Hey, so uh, when are you going to like set your kingdom up? 
All right, that's not any of your business. Don't worry about that. Here's what your business is. Be filled up with the Holy Spirit so that you can go out and tell people about me. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Guys, Romans chapter 8 has been called the great eight. You know, people have said that if you were to drop your Bible, it should fall open to Romans chapter 8. Like, you should love Romans 8 that much. I would say Rome, or Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is another great eight. It's really a key verse to the book of Acts. It gives us an outline of the breakdown of the book of Acts, as well as tells us the mission and uh, the power by which we do that mission, okay? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. John Stott said that this verse is both missional and eschatological. Now, if eschatological just kind of caused something to pop loose in your brain right there, it just means studying about the end times. How are the end times going to come about? So this verse shows us some missionary work that we got to do and how the end is going to be coming about. All right. John Stott says the church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. It cannot be understood rightly except in a perspective which is at once missionary and eschatological. And so here Jesus says, number one, but you shall receive power. Anybody here a home improvement fan from the 90s? Oh man, Tuesday night. If I could just get to Tuesday night, you know, more power, right? We just all love that. Guys, that is the, the call of every Christian. We want more power, Lord. You shall receive power. In the Greek, it's dynamis, or where we get dynamic or dynamite, all right? And it speaks of ability, mighty deeds, and strength. Anybody here feel like that doesn't really describe you really about how you go and talk to people about Jesus? dynamic power, ability, and mighty deed, right? What about maybe the antonym of this? Does it describe you? Feebleness, infirmity, and disease, all right? Like, my pastor's calling me to go out and be a witness to my neighbor in my cubicle, and I'm like, I don't know if I've got COVID or if I'm just really scared right now, you know? (laughs) Well, don't worry. This power doesn't come by you just mustering up the courage yourself and white knuckling and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and, I am going to tell them about Jesus today! You know, it's like, whoa, that just freaks everybody out, okay? The power comes by you having the Holy Spirit come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, did you see it in the text there, verse 8? When the Holy Spirit has come toward you or onto you. Now, when you read the New Testament, there are three different relationships that you have with the Holy Spirit in your life. We read about him in John. We studied this in the amphitheater, and they're in the text that we read earlier in John 14 and 15, okay? The first one in the Greek is the word para, okay? P-A-R-A, para. It's also a great Spanish word. I use it all the time. Para me y tu como esta. Okay, I don't know making some stuff up there, but para, all right? 
Some of you knew what I meant. You're like, I feel the same way about you, Rory. You're like, if we, we could be friends. Okay, uh, so para, that the Holy Spirit will be with you. Okay, now if you'll allow me to take your mind to a dream world of magic real quick, could you picture an empty cup waiting to be filled and next to it, a pitcher full of water? Picture that the pitcher, picture the pitcher, is the Holy Spirit, okay? And you're an empty cup waiting to be filled. The Holy Spirit is with you, okay? John tells us that he convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He shows you that you're a sinner and that God is righteous and that if you don't turn from your sins to Jesus Christ, you will be judged and go to hell, okay? That's a work of the Holy Spirit towards you, all right? Then the second work of the Holy Spirit towards you, or role and relationship that the Holy Spirit has towards you, is that then he comes into you, all right? It's the, this is hard, write it down. Some of you won't remember it. It's the Greek word in, okay, right? But it's en this time. Some of you that's like, how am I supposed to remember this stuff, okay? All right, in, he comes in you, all right? And Hebrew, uh, so not only did Jesus say um, he will be in with you and come into you, but for instance, the book of Ephesians tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes into us, he will seal us with the guarantee of our salvation. He will seal us with the Holy Spirit of promise. So imagine you're an empty cup waiting to be filled. You've been hearing about Jesus and your need to repent and turn from your sins. And this guy's just bugging me and he's just talking to me about Jesus from every side. And you know what? He's starting to get to me. He's starting to get, I'm starting to feel the crack. Oh no, oh no. You know what? I am a sinner. I do know that there's something's gonna happen to me after I die. I do know that I need to be forgiven of all my sins and to know my creator. Okay, okay, Jesus, come into my heart. Change my life in that minute. The Holy Spirit comes into you and gives you a new life. He's poured into you, the language speaks of, and he seals you at the tippy top as a guarantee that you are saved. Anybody learn? I remember um, seventh grade science class. Those were scary years. Beginning of the year, the teacher goes, I'm going to teach you how to waft chemicals, and you're going to have to bring in a jar of your own urine to smell. And I was like, (laughs) people are going to see my urine you know that was like that didn't happen until january but the whole year i was like i got i'm gonna be a dropout i gotta drop out of school you gotta drop out then some teachers some parents i'm not gonna name what parent it was probably wrote a letter you know and so then we used like chlorine or something like that i don't know you know but another thing that what was her name Downen. there once was a teacher named Downen. Who never was smiling but frowning. I wrote a poem about it. It was a tough, tough year for me with Mrs. Downen. Mrs. Downen, but she did teach me a couple things. Watch your pee. And also, um, <laughs> the other thing was that when you fill like a beaker or like a test tube up to the tippy top, to the tippity tippity top, you see this line on top of the water called a meniscus. You guys know it? And you can actually take like a dropper or something and keep adding water to it and it'll kind of it'll hold itself and seal itself into that cup and it's just a beautiful picture i'm totally making it up you can't find it in the bible but being sealed with the holy spirit of promise filled up as we come to jesus where there's a meniscus of the holy spirit of promise and so now we have a new heart we can know god we want to obey god we have comprehension of the word and we're growing and we're being sanctified and set apart from the old life And then that leads us to the third role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And in the Greek, it's called the epi, E-P-I, 
and it means to come upon, okay, or to come toward, all right, or onto. And now some people believe that when the Holy Spirit fills you up, that that third thing happens right away. And I would say, yeah, sometimes, okay? As we go through the book of Acts in the next, let's say, 10 years, how long this is going to be, let's be honest, okay? As we go through the book of Acts, notice how God is not in a box as to how this all happens, okay? All right? Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it happens to somebody before they've even been baptized with water. Sometimes it happens to people, they've already gone out on like a mission trip, okay? And a lot of times it happens to the same people every time they're just needing more power to be brave and courageous. And in fact, in the Greek, it's the language to be continually filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And so imagine now the pitcher, it sealed you up. Now, toss the pitcher away. Now you've got a, a fire hose that you just stick inside the glass and you just crank it up, right? As John chapter seven says, the Holy Spirit will come out of you like torrents of living water, okay? And so uh, here we have, you'll receive that kind of power when the epi happens to you, okay? Now, what happens when the epi happens to us? We will be witnesses, okay? The number one thing that we read about in the book of Acts, the purpose of this epi and this continual pouring out upon, it's not so we can do all kinds of crazy things and roll up on, roll on the ground all sorts of different ways and make people kind of look at you kind of funny or get weird goosebumps on the back of your neck or, you know, bark like a dog or get gold dust on you or whatever. Like, you don't read any of that in the Bible. What you're reading right here is boldness to preach the gospel, okay? All right, so you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. The word witness in the Greek is martyr, okay? Someone who dies for their faith. If you want to be a witness and tell people about Jesus, even to the point of death, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. A witness is someone who testifies of Jesus to the point of death. It's been said that dying for Jesus doesn't make you a martyr. It just shows who the real martyrs already were. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the series Band of Brothers. If you haven't, to come talk to me. There's some scenes that I'm going to help you fast forward through or skip over. But there's, you also read about this individual in the book, the Band of Brothers book, and you can research him. There's a, there's a character, a true life character, who was in the 101st Airborne and jumped into uh, Normandy on D-Day. His name was Albert Blythe. And you may know, remember him from one of the beginning episodes that when he jumped into France, uh, he was so scared when all the fighting was going on that he went into uh, a ditch and hid for like a whole day. He didn't fight. He just hid and trembled and tried not to die. And while he was uh, hiding and trembling, he ended up going blind, called hysterical blindness. And uh, he kind of was able to come out of that. And as they moved through uh, France over the next couple days, they found themselves in Carentan. And as they were fighting in Carentan, he saw the brave Ronald Spears going through and fighting the Germans. And he, he, Spears jumps into his foxhole and he says, how are you so courageous and so brave? I mean, I'm going blind here with fear. And Ronald Spears said this, you know what your problem is? You think there's still hope. You need to realize that you're already dead. And the moment you realize that, you will be able to function the way a true soldier 
functions. And through that pep talk and that encouragement, Blythe was able to go on and volunteer for recon mission. He was struck in the neck by a sniper, and he ended up, that was the end of that war for him. But as he healed up, he then went on to fight with valor in the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And it's like, how does that happen where somebody's so terrified that then they get such great courage? It's that they stop living for this world as if this is our only hope, as if this is all that there is. We need the Holy Spirit upon us, church, so that we can live the way that every Christian ought to live with great power, with great might, the life of a martyr, the life that realizes they're already dead. You'll be a martyr, a a walking witness in three different places, and we'll have the worship team come on up. Three different places. They are Judea, or I'm sorry, Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the fourth, to the end of the earth. This is really the breakdown of the book of Acts. Chapters 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. They're baptized with the Spirit for boldness. And they begin to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And so they preach the gospel in Jerusalem until chapter 8. And then in chapter 8, they move up to Samaria. And they begin preaching the gospel in Samaria. And then after chapter 13, they then go out to the ends of the then known world to preach the gospel. Okay, So it's really the outline of the book of Acts. And if we have the map up on the screen, it's really the outline of how the Lord wants us to operate. Here in Prineville, we start out in our Jerusalem there at the bottom. It's a super blurry picture. I apologize about that. It wasn't blurry this morning when I uploaded it. Uh, And so in Judea, in Jerusalem, just above Judea, was where the Holy Spirit would pour out. You guys, Prineville is our Jerusalem. This is our hometown. This is where today we believe the Lord wants to fill us afresh with the Spirit for the purpose of bold evangelism and proclamation of His kingdom. All right? And then, as we're preaching here, the Lord begins to spread us out a little bit more. All right? And the Lord has spread us out. We now have ministry in Polina this afternoon. We're going out to Polina to share the gospel. People are getting saved. Ranchers are getting saved. Workers are getting saved. Baptisms are happening in ranch ponds where there's leeches, and it's the most exciting thing in the world, right? Super thrilling, all right? And, uh, and then, not only that, we've gone out to Seneca, John Day. We've had circuit preaching in Crook County, our Samaria, and also we are going out by the grace of God to the ends of the earth as a church. If you take your globe and you point to Prineville, and then you find Nepal, It's on the other side of the world. I mean, there's nowhere farther away to try to get to than Nepal. And then we go up mountains in Nepal, which is just a little extra oomph to you. And by God's grace, he is working out Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in our church. And may he work it out even more. I like what John Stott was saying that um, in the New Testament, there's not a centripetal motion of missionary consciousness, which in the Old Testament, it was centripetal, which uh, I got to read it again, centripetal, which meant everyone was supposed to come into Jerusalem to hear about the Lord. All the Gentiles, if you're going to hear about the Lord, you're going to kind of get lucky and kind of find your way into Jerusalem, okay? But now in the New Testament, it's not centripetal, it's centrifugal, right? Centrifugal force from the inside out. Now we're going out, we're moving away from ourselves with our missionary activity. And that's what the Lord desires to happen in us. 
As you guys set your things aside, we're going to close and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in the way that Jesus called it, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, I always say this, I said it first service, there are different views of this and how it works within the church. There's great people that I absolutely love and respect that just hold different understandings. Here at Calvary, you'll hear what's called that we preach the subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. That means that you may be born again one day and be filled with the Spirit, and then maybe another day the Holy Spirit comes on with you with like fire and makes you bold and courageous. It may not happen at the same time. It may or it may not, but it's a subsequent separate work essentially. There's other guys that disagree. There's other guys who are like, I don't see how that would work. You know, that's not very fair. Like someone comes to Jesus. Why don't they just get all the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I'm just reading my Bible and trying to make sense of it, okay? But I totally understand and appreciate when people are like, no, like someone gets saved and they get this boldness that we're talking about. And I would just say, examine your life. Is that really the case for you? I also have uh, a great preacher that I love to listen to. You guys are probably familiar with Alistair Begg, Scottish guy on the radio. I consider him a mentor. I've gotten to have dinner with him and I'll go on a walk with him and just talk to him. And he would hold a different position than I do. And that's totally great. That if he called me up today to go serve at his church, I would be like, see you losers. I'm going to Ohio. No, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Uh, I would be happy to just, you know, walk in humility and be like, man, it's, it's a bit of a mystery, honestly. But what Alistair Begg says, and I always love it, he talks about he talks about Calvary Chapel people, and he's like, those Calvary Chapel guys, you know, apparently all you need is a pair of jeans and a Bible to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. And I'm like, it's true. That's literally the requirement. Do you have a pair of jeans, you know? And then he tells his Reformed friends, these Calvary Chapel guys, they actually believe that they're going to go out and preach the gospel and people are going to get saved. And he tells his buddies, like, we need more of that, you know? But when he's talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, this is what he says in his great Scottish accent. Whatever it is, I want it. And whenever it happens, I need it. And if you would just have that kind of heart, like, or just humbly, like, I don't know exactly all this, but I just know I want this power that is for me. So would you give me this power? I know I haven't witnessed to anybody face-to-face telling them about Jesus in a week, in six months in six years, or I've never done it. I would say, friend, man, if you're looking at the six months to six years thing, you need a fresh baptism with the Holy Spirit. And you could just ask. Jesus says, how many of you, if your child comes up to you and asks for an egg, you'll give him a rock to go chew on. Just go and gnaw on this, punk. How many of you, your child comes up to you and says, can I have some bread? And you give him a serpent to go play with. No, you don't do that. And Jesus says, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does the Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so a lot of times it's just we ask. We're going to see in the weeks to come, when you see the early church waiting on the Lord, like we did this year uh, in our prayer and fasting this last week, we just wait on the Lord, pray to the Lord that he pours out himself in that way during those times. And so here we've got this little minute today to wait on the Lord and to ask for fresh power from the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you to stand with me where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands if you want more of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask you to come forward if you want laying on of hands. I can't wait to go through Acts, you guys. God is not in a box. Sometimes 
apostles laid hands on guys for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it was in the sermon that the Holy Spirit fell on people. Sometimes it was before baptism, after baptism, uh, upon uh, disciples. Already. You know, it's just God's not in a box. And so right now in our first teaching, in our first study in the book of Acts, I'm just going to pray for all of us that we would just receive whatever it is. I want it, whatever it looks like. I need it. I want the boldness to preach the gospel, Lord. So Lord, here this day, we just ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just as Thursday night in our fast, we prayed for waters that would not fail upon our church. We pray that you would pour out the torrents of living water upon the people in this room. I just remember, like, I, I hate confrontation. I hate arguing with people. But when you're upon me, Lord, and I open my mouth about the gospel, there's a different kind of power. It's effective. And Lord, I pray for that power that's effective to preach the gospel upon every man, woman, and child in this place. That you would expand your kingdom to that, the next quarter of the world's population who've never even heard. Some of you may be here today and you don't necessarily need to pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit yet. You've never even been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. You're still an empty cup and today has been nothing but the Lord being alongside of you, convicting you of your deep need for a savior and I just want to invite you right here where you're at to respond to the Lord just right now where you're at in the quiet place of your heart just talk to him and just say Lord I hear you today I feel you nudging me and pushing me towards you I hear you telling me I need to be forgiven of my sin I hear you telling me that you want to give me a new heart and a mind that can comprehend the Bible. And Lord, I've just been feeling purposeless lately or seeing that my purpose is just such a temporary purpose on this earth. But today I hear that you have a purpose, a grand, eternal purpose to be a part of your mission. And so Lord, today I would pray that you would come inside me and fill me up seal me with the Holy Spirit a guarantee that I'm saved and even today Lord would you pour out just the abundance of water upon me that I would have courage to now go out from here and tell my friends tell my family tell my parents about you Lord and so Lord as we are in the book of Acts I just believe you for great fresh things as we go through it. I just sensed uh, as I was studying that we out of church are to start praying that the Lord would begin raising up long-term missionaries out of our church. That we would just be so grasped and gripped by the book of Acts, this missionary book this year that he would be equipping saints to go out 
for more midterm work, month long, few months long in the mission field, to year long and years long in the mission field. And so Lord, here we are today. We just say our lives are a blank check. Equip us for the work that you have for us in this world. Amen. Go ahead.